you're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today, we're talking about health insurance, which originally aired October 7th, 2005, was directed by Steve Welch and written by Rob Eulin. Hi, I'm Jake, and this podcast stinks like victory. And I'm David, and let the record show I advocated a policy of cowardice and appeasement. Well, getting into this week's episode, we of course have a cold open to start with. And it features Reese binge-eating ice cream with the kitchen table just, like, covered with emptied of, like, various ice cream containers of, uh, you know, cartons of ice cream and popsicle boxes. And Malcolm and Dewey are watching him do this and telling him to eat faster and to not chew, just swallow. And Reese, like, takes a bite and then shrugs and says nothing. And Malcolm turns to camera and says... He knows this isn't scientific, but it must mean something that Reese doesn't get brain freeze. And Reese says, Wait, I'm feeling something in my toes. <laughs> and that takes us into the episode proper, where we have two plot lines one sort of at the Lucky Aid and one at the Wilkerson house. And we will start with the one. That mostly happens in the Lucky Aid, the lowest center. Okay. Which I think <laughs> you have named. Hmm. Huh. <laughs> I think you named this the JH plot for Jimmy Hoffa. Damn it. That would have been a better. That would have been a better one. <laughs> that would have been a better one. <laughs> I gotta give you credit for that. That's pretty funny. No, this is the C plot, Jake, for Craig Yoki. <laughs> wow ah. <laughs> I told you you were going to hate me That's not even a real word Correct Fuck you That's the point <laughs> Listen The other one was really good So I was like I need to get one that's going to piss off Jake Uh huh Well mission accomplished David <laughs> I know Listen When I set my sights on something Jake I accomplish it <laughs> <laughs> This plot line, uh, we get like our first little sort of indication of what it's going to be about as Lois tells Hal that she has to go into work early because there is a secret union meeting, which we then follow her to that meeting where all of the uh, employees are, you know, gathered and the general attitude seems very pro joining this Teamster union. And the one dissenting voice is Craig, who is scared that they're going to lose their privileges. <laughs> and when Lois asks what privileges, he says being allowed to wear their smock on uh, their days off. And there's been talk that they're going to fix the uh, hand uh, dryer in the men's room. <laughs> God. Oh, Craig, you spineless twat. <laughs> <laughs> We then see uh, one of Lois's uh, co-workers, Joe, who is played by Scott Adsit, who's uh, mostly known for 30 Rock, and uh, this is his second character in Malcolm in the Middle, as he played uh, Francis's lawyer way back in Emancipation. Right. And he is one of the pro-union voices as he's talking about how He's, uh, you know, sick of how they're being treated, their lack of overtime and job security. And uh, he's, like, interrupted in his, you know, pro-union speech by Craig, who stands up and says that he thinks that they should trust their boss because he makes more money and is therefore more trustworthy. Yikes. Oh, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Simple Craig. And uh, Lois says that she is tired of their boss always getting to park right up front while they have to park, you know, so far away that they have to take the city bus. Yeah, I think she said like nine blocks or something like that. Yes. <laughs> Which is is insane. <laughs> Which 
Craig says that they should be glad that their boss lets them use the shuttle to go back and forth to their parking. <laughs> to which Lois says, Craig, it's the city bus. <laughs> and uh, Craig also suggests that instead of forming a union, they should get together and uh, paint the boss's house. That way he'll, uh, you know, be more inclined to like them. <laughs> yeah, he'll want to be nice to them if they do that. Exactly. <laughs> God, dude, Craig is like... Don't get me wrong. I love Craig, but I have worked with people. Don't be a Craig. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> and uh, Craig is told to shut up by Shelley, who is played by uh, Tara Kersian, who I mostly know as Lucille from Review with Forrest <laughs> McNeil. And uh, then with Craig having once again been silenced, uh, Lois says, that, you know, for all the years that she worked here, she didn't think they needed a union, but she has finally had enough that, you know, the people working here are so scared of the company that they can't even voice their concerns anymore, so she thinks they should unionize. And that's where your opening line comes from, is, as like, everyone else is, like, rallied up and cheering in support. Craig says that he wasn't on the record that he supported a policy of cowardice and appeasement. Don't worry, Craig. They know. They all know. <laughs> then, uh, back at the Wilkerson house, we get, like, a brief aside of Lois weighing the pros and cons of unionization. Saying that, you know, they'll have to pay dues, but that they'll save a lot of money on health insurance. Then, going back to the Lucky Aid, uh, we see Hattie, who was, like, the one leading the uh, union meetings, being fired. And their boss, like, turns and says that he wants this to be a lesson to all of them. And uh, Shelley tells Lois that, that this is, like, clearly uh, retaliation for, you know, uh, leading these union meetings. And that someone must have snitched them out. And Lois immediately assumes that it's Craig. And she goes to the break room and tries to confront Craig about this, but uh, he refuses to look in her eyes. He knows she sees right through him. <laughs> and Lois, like, tries to force him to. But Craig, like, keeps moving his line of sight around to avoid looking at her. And Lois tells him that, you know, uh, she's going to leave, but she's going to be keeping an eye on him. <laughs> <laughs> then Shelly tells Lois that they figured out who snitched on them. It was Joe. And she says, that, you know, everyone knows this because he just got promoted to manager. And clearly it's because he was informing on them. And Lois is like shocked about this, you know, saying, uh, what about Craig? And when she asks, what do you mean, what about Craig? Lois, like, tries to play it off, saying, does Craig know it was Joe? Uh -huh. She, uh, leaves the break room and is, like, muttering to herself about, you know, how wrong she was. Then she overhears Craig talking to their boss uh, about some sort of, you know, very secretive information and a list of names. And... Uh, of course, Lois, uh, you know, thinks that this is Craig giving information on who was at these union meetings. And after the box, like, walks away, Craig turns and sees Lois, like, on the other side of the shelf that she was hiding behind. <laughs> and she, like, grabs him by the shirt and, like, slams him into the shelf, to which Craig yells, You got hair! You got hair! And, uh... When Lois, like, you know, confronts him directly about this, you know, asking about this, uh, list, Craig says, we were just, uh, ranking the hotties <laughs> in the store, and he tells Lois, you know, don't worry, uh, you're top of the pack in posture and dimples. And Lois asks, uh, you expect me to believe that? Craig says, uh, I would really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Craig. But this interrogation is interrupted as Lois hears the sounds of Joe screaming out for help. And she rushes to the break room where he has been, like, strapped down to a chair with duct tape over his mouth and a, like, uh, waxing strip on his stomach, which they're about to tear off. But uh, Lois, like, stops them, saying, Joe isn't the snitch. The real snitch just confessed to me. 
And when they want to know who it is, Lois says that uh, she's not going to tell. Uh, that it was some uh, misguided, pathetic... <laughs> and she like, cuts them off saying, It's Craig! <laughs> and they all run off in search of Craig. Poor Craig. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, we then see Lois uh, talking to Joe, who's, like, packing his stuff up. And uh, he thanks Lois for throwing Craig under the bus for him. Uh, asking, you know, what, what their manager gave her. <laughs> and Lois is, of course, shocked by this, saying, uh, Wait, you were the real snitch? <laughs> and he says, you know, of course he was, uh... He's not being, uh, moved up for his motivation and hard work. Yeah, that would be crazy. When she says, you know, but but I heard Craig talking about a list of names. Uh, Joe says, oh, that's probably for the surprise party he's been planning for your 10th anniversary working here. <laughs> uh, I told him not to, it would just depress you, but you know Craig. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... Of course, as soon as this is revealed, uh, Shelly walks up and just, like, tells Lois there's clean a cleanup in the storeroom with a smirk. And when Lois goes to the storeroom, she finds Craig tied to a pole and covered in fire extinguisher foam with, like, a bunch of emptied fire extinguishers, like, scattered around him. <laughs> and Lois is, like, apologizing to Craig, saying, you know, that this is all her fault. And that she is going to do whatever it takes to make this up to him. <laughs> and uh, she, like, starts to untie him, but then gets a call on her cell phone, which connects to the other plot line, and rushes off back home, telling Craig, I'll be right back. <laughs> and as she runs away, Craig tells her, the party's at five. <laughs> <laughs> then when Lois gets back to the Lucky Aid... Uh, her surprise party is all set up, but Craig is the only one there. As he tells her that, uh, no one else came because apparently everyone else sees him as human garbage now. <laughs> and Lois says that, you know, she wishes that Craig would get angry at her and yell at her. But he says that you know, all he wants is for her to enjoy her party. And he has her sit down and he puts a party hat on her. Then he starts singing his, uh, like, own Lois-centered parody version of Money Money, which she has turned into Lois Lois. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boy. And that is how this plotline ends, with Craig very enthusiastically singing this song, and, you know, cutting back on the yeah... Yeah, with Lois, who is very unenthusiastically joining in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, from there, we will go to the other plot line. Um, hmm. Which, <laughs> now, what would you call this plot line? A incredibly accurate name. Okay. That does not help me, David. I know. <laughs> Uh, you're, you're gonna hate it, but you're gonna love it. I think you called this the FD plot for Final Destination. So not bad, not bad, but I like mine more. Now this is the C-O-B-R-A plotline, or Cobra plotline, which stands, of course, for Complete Overreaction to the Boys' Recreational Activities. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, that one's pretty good. <laughs> Thanks. And speaking of the boys' recreational activities, this plotline starts with Reese and Malcolm coming in very excited and, like, giddy. Uh, and they tell Dewey that, you know, the reason they're so happy is that they finally got back at Steve Schwab. <laughs> and they've done so by finding a dead octopus in a dumpster behind the seafood restaurant and stuffing it full of medical waste, then putting that inside the Schwab's air conditioner. That sounds awful. <laughs> You're not wrong. Which I, I did once before a road trip have an aunt who uh, 
like smeared the uh like area like uh, around the uh gas tank with a dead fish Ugh. as a uh prank on my dad which you know also then affected the rest of us we're on that road trip it was not great <laughs> that sounds awful yeah holy god Jesus. <laughs> and uh when dewey is upset that he wasn't included in this revenge plan uh reese tells him that they had to act fast because if you don't with uh act fast enough with a dead squid it just starts to smell like dead fish <laughs> and God. that's where my opening line comes from as malcolm says that uh reese's hands still stink and he like sniffs them and says they stink like victory <laughs> <laughs> oh reese <laughs> i mean he's not entirely wrong <laughs> they did win but at what cost <laughs> then uh we cut to hal who is talking to jamie about how they're gonna go out and play in the fall leaves <laughs> dude <laughs> this line is so funny <laughs> <laughs> tells jamie that for adults fall makes uh them think of their uh you know own mortality but for you, it's just a bunch of pretty leaves. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then the faces he makes when he says it's so funny, dude. I, ah, uh, this part cracked me up so much. And as he's putting his coat on, he realizes he has something in his coat pocket, and he pulls out an envelope, which then cuts to him on the phone with his health insurance provider. Uh, saying that he uh, has just realized that his family hasn't had health insurance for six months. <laughs> Isn't there some sort of grace period? <laughs> <laughs> and once that two-month grace period is up, how much of a grace period do you get after that? <laughs> well, I hope when your marriage falls apart, I'll be there to see it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hearing him argue with the bill collector just, like, set me off today. I got 18 robocalls. I have nothing in collections, by the way. I got 18 robocalls for people allegedly trying to collect a debt with those stupid robo-scam things. Uh-huh. 18 in one day. Dude. Yeah. It's getting so bad. Yeah, I haven't had any in quite a while, but, like, for a while, I, I was, like, pretty consistently getting, like, ten or more, like, every day for, like, a six-month period. It is driving me insane, man. Like, I'm I'm losing my mind. Yeah, fair. It sucks. <laughs> it's very annoying. And every time, like, the ones that have been calling me lately, they have that, like, fake, real person voice when you pick up, and it's uh -huh. like, Hi! How are you today? And then it switches over to the robot voice. It's like, we are calling, and, 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 and this call might be monitored for... Shut up! Nobody cares! <laughs> Sorry, rant over, but seriously, what the hell? But having failed to uh, get this health insurance immediately reactivated, he, he's told that it'll uh, be activated on Monday morning. They have to get through the weekend with no incidents. I also love that he's freaking out because he's found out that they haven't had insurance for six months. It's it's a couple of days. Like, if they've managed to go six months without it, I mean, what's what's a couple more days? I mean, it's a couple more days, David. <laughs> he has a house full of ticking time bombs, as he tells <laughs> the uh, guy on the phone. <laughs> uh, which is, I guess, you know, not wrong. I mean, look, you're looking at it the wrong way, David. They've been six whole months with no trips to the hospital. They're overdue. <laughs> you know what? That's actually a pretty fair point, Jake. <laughs> uh, he tells Jamie that he's not allowed to get sick or get any owies this weekend. You know all those safety rules that me and your mom are always telling you? Well, from now on, we mean them. Then <laughs> a uh, woman brings her child to the Wilkerson house as they have a playdate scheduled with this little boy and Jamie, which uh, she's like about to leave, you know, telling how, you know, she's so grateful for this because she has an important job interview. But before she can get out the door, the kid sneezes. 
And when Hal asks, what was that? She says, it's just allergies. Which Hal is skeptical of, and he, like, kneels down in front of the kid and, like, starts giving him an inspection. And, uh, like, asking questions about, you know, how his poop looked today. <laughs> and the woman, you know, uh, with Hal acting this way, decides that, you know what, maybe they'll do a playdate some other time. And she'll just take her kid to the interview with her. And as they're leaving, uh, Hal, like, calls out behind her, you know, that uh, rescheduling sounds great, but next time, bring a note from his doctor. God. Then as he is, like, walking away, uh, like, to wash his hands, which he's now, you know, looking at very disturbed, uh, having touched this potentially sick kid, uh, he's, like, stopped in his tracks by the side of Dewey cutting a bagel with a knife. And he rushes over and takes the knife out of Dewey's hands and says, That's not a toy! <laughs> <laughs> to which Dewey replies, I didn't think I was cutting my bagel with a toy. Oh, <laughs> uh, poor Dewey. <laughs> and uh, Hal gives him, like, first a butter knife, then, uh, like, second-guessing that, takes that away as well, and gives Dewey a spoon. <laughs> and has him, like, flip that around and use the handle to cut the bagel. <laughs> Then Hal, like, looks around uh, at, like, some tines and scissors and an iron and realizes all the potential for danger in the house. <laughs> and he starts collecting anything that might cause injury, including all of the silverware in the house, uh, the boys' toys, uh, Malcolm's chemistry set, some skis... Uh, some, like, cleaning chemicals, medication, a boombox that was in the bathroom, and, like, the fireplace pokers, which he then, like, even doubles back to take, like, the little metal thing that holds the pokers. <laughs> and he throws all these in a giant pile in the garage, which he then padlocks. <laughs> and as he's Walking away, he hears the squeaking of the, like, rubber ducky that Jamie has been following him with, squeaking and playing with, coming from inside the garage. <laughs> <laughs> and he has to, like, unbury Jamie from this giant pile of everything dangerous in the house. <laughs> then, uh, Lois uh, asks Sal what happened to all the silverware, as <laughs> she has... Uh, made breakfast for everyone, but there's nothing to eat it with, which Hal tells her that uh, all of the forks were bent, so he sent them to the guy that fixes that. <laughs> the fork straightener? <laughs> it's the man's job, Lois. We shouldn't make fun of him. <laughs> nah, nah, you can make fun of that. That's that's insane. <laughs> and Lois asks how they're going to, uh, you know, eat their eggs without forks. <laughs> and... Reese uh, shows her how as he's reading comics out of the newspaper and he just like puts the plate directly into his face and is just like directly eating it off of the plate. God. <laughs> Which, uh, it is noteworthy that Reese is reading the comics as we have seen before that, uh, you know, but before he didn't read at all, not even comics, unless he had to. <laughs> Which is how Malcolm tricked him into doing the Peanuts uh, football kicking trick. Then uh, when Lois, uh, you know, tries to go to work, Hal tells her that, uh, you know, uh, the other day he saw a woman wearing a bike helmet and he thought it, you know, looked so good. It made him wonder why women don't just wear bicycle helmets everywhere. And he, like, puts a bike helmet on Lois and, like, Tries to pretend that it's making her look really sexy. <laughs> God, poor, poor Lois. And of course, she says that he's being ridiculous. That's going to ruin her hair. And she rushes off with a uh, how like calling after her to drive safe and slow. <laughs> get there late, but get there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hal. And uh, the retaliation for the uh, octopus uh, in the air conditioner scheme uh, of course comes around as Malcolm is 
at the computer, and he discovers that the Schwabs have photoshopped all of their faces into a uh, gay porn video. And Malcolm watching this says, you know, he's not homophobic. If they were really gay lovers, then he would be fine with this. But they're not. <laughs> and uh, Reese is insulted by it, saying that his abs are way more ripped than that guy's. <laughs> and this can't be a dirty movie. There's not even any women. <laughs> and Dewey just says they have to do something to get them back for this. And Reese <laughs> reveals that uh, he has some wasp hives that he's been saving for one of his teachers to see what kind of grade they give him. But he'd be willing to use it for this instead. Oh, Reese. <laughs> he's been, uh, how did he put it? Uh, he's been. He, he says he's been keeping them agitated. Yeah, something like that, or teasing them or something. It's, it, it, it's real Reese behavior. Uh, it sure is and you hate to see it <laughs> but also the idea of it's pretty funny <laughs> but as they like all get up and start to head for the door they're intercepted by Hal who uh, says what does it take to keep you boys safe and Malcolm like tries to say you know uh, you don't know what uh, the, the Schwabs did to us and Hal says he doesn't care they're not going anywhere and he sends them to their room. And they're a uh, little back and forth here. Uh, Risa tells Hal that he doesn't think that he's going to die because he's 17. And when Hal says that 17-year-olds die all the time, Reese says, that's just something they tell you to uh, get you to not do drugs. <laughs> Oh, Reese. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as they're like, you know, being marched to their room, Dewey says that he knows that they, he's going to die. But Hal says no one's going to die until start of business Monday morning and slams their door shut. <laughs> and he like pauses for a beat, then opens the door back up. Of course, catching the boys trying to sneak out of their window. <laughs> Which Malcolm tries to play off as a fire drill, saying, Well, if there's ever a real fire, I think we're all set. <laughs> we see Hal has locked both of the doors in, in and out of the boys' room and is nailing boards over their windows. <laughs> Which the, uh, Malcolm is telling him, you know, he doesn't have to do this. He's overreacting. But Hal says that they're not going anywhere uh, until this weekend is through. And Reese turns to Malcolm and asks, should we do it? And Malcolm says, yeah. And they pull a poster off of their door. And Reese, like, pushes, uh, like, a fake door that they have cut into their actual door. Open and says, and you guys thought it was a waste to spend Christmas vacation at Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> And Dewey says that, you know, clearly Hal is going to kill them if he finds out that they, you know, managed to get out of the room after everything he's done. That maybe they should just stay here and pretend that they're too secure to care what the Schwabs think about them. But Malcolm tells Dewey the, the story of Booger Boy. Now, he didn't stand up for himself when, they, when people first started calling him that. And Reese says, uh, I don't even remember what his real name was. And Malcolm says, no one does. <laughs> and Dewey says, you're right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, outside having finished, uh, you know, nailing all these boards up, Hal is heading inside when he notices that uh, on their, like, back patio, there is a nail sticking out of one of the boards and he takes the hammer and you know hammers the nail in and looks very satisfied with himself until the entire structure collapses on top of him leaving him in a giant pile of rubble which uh, is notably the scene that they show in WandaVision when she's watching Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah I did not uh, realize that at first it took me a second. 
I was like, wait a minute. And the boys, like, step out into the, uh, you know, backyard and seeing what's happened, Malcolm says, oh my god, dad's in there. And Reese says, yeah, let's go. <laughs> but uh, Malcolm, like, stops him and they pull, uh, like, the rubble off of him. And Hal says that he can't feel anything below his left knee. And he has the boys look uh, to make sure his foot is okay. <laughs> Tree says uh, that his foot looks fine, but the rest of him is facing the wrong way. <laughs> oh, poor Hal. Oh, <laughs> ow. <laughs> and Dewey rushes inside to call Lois, which uh, we uh, see that phone call get interrupted as uh, Dewey manages to tell Lois, which is the uh, call that she has interrupting her, you know, helping of Craig. Uh, that there's been an emergency, and that she needs to come home quick. And when she asks what happens, uh, Dewey can't say anything as Hal has managed to climb into the house, and he rips the phone cord out before Dewey can say. Then Hal makes like a homemade splint for himself, for his leg, and uh, Malcolm is telling me, no, that that's not going to work, we need to get you to a hospital. And Hal finally explains... Why he's been so protective of them this weekend. That they don't have health insurance right now. That no one can go to the hospital. And he says that, you know, Lois is going to kill him when she finds out about this. This is worse than that time he left Dewey in Mexico. I don't, I don't know if that's true, Hal. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts to cry. Which Reese says he... Didn't think he would see Hal uh, this pathetic until they locked him away in an old folks' home. <laughs> oh, Reese. <laughs> and they hear Lois, uh, you know, pull up, coming home. And Hal has them, like, help him up. And when Lois comes in, Hal starts to tell her what happened. But Malcolm cuts him off and says... Uh, nine minutes and 23 seconds. I win. And he uh, tells Lois that they made a bet on how long it would take her to get home if she thought there was an emergency. And uh, to, like, help sell it, uh, Reese and Dewey immediately start arguing with him that actually Reese won because he guessed 10 minutes, but Malcolm says you can't go over. And they start, you know... Arguing about whether or not that's fair. Yeah, it's cheating to make up that. Basically, they become us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, of course, Lois is upset with them that, you know, that this game has forced her to leave work and rush home like this, thinking one of them was dying. And Hal, like, uh, leans forward and, and very clear pain has to, like, lean on Reese and Malcolm. <laughs> and as he's telling Lois, you know, he's so angry they did this to her. And she asks, are you crying? And Hal says, tears of rage. <laughs> uh, Hal, like, tells her that, you know, they're going to get the grounding of a lifetime. That they're going to uh, see the, the full breadth of his rage. And Lois, like, initially is hesitant, saying something seems fishy. But because she was so wrong about the stuff with Craig, she second-guesses herself and tells Hal to uh, start the punishment, but to leave some for her <laughs> as she heads back to work. And with Lois gone, Hal, like, collapses back to the floor, and he tells the boys how proud he is that they've lied to their mother for him. The only thing that could make him prouder is if one of them would saw his leg off. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, poor Hal. And they say that they're going to get him taken care of. And when Hal, you know, says, uh, that's impossible, we can't go to the hospital, Reese reassures him, saying, this is what we do. <laughs> uh, which, I mean, <laughs> fair. <laughs> and... They take him to a house with a uh, teenager, which uh, Hal asks, are, are you some sort of prodigy? And he says, no, my dad's a bad doctor and he lets me use his stuff. <laughs> uh... Which gives Hal pause, understandably, as he says, you know, maybe they don't need to do this, but... Dewey and Reese reassure him, saying they uh, have come to this kid before. He's reset Dewey's nose three times, 
and he once gave Risa a tracheotomy with a crazy straw. <laughs> God. And uh, Hal asks, what kind of anesthesia do you use? And he says, well, for this kind of scenario, we need about eight cc's of grab him. <laughs> and it like cuts to an exterior shot of Hal screaming. <laughs> and then there's just like a loud snapping sound. And Hal says, oh, wow. <laughs> and that wraps this episode up. So let's go to our awards. I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> awards. And as usual, we will start with our Roller Skating Teen Award, our award for the best visual moment. Man, so I almost went with the montage, but then the end of the episode rolled around, and uh, as I jokingly dubbed it to irritate you, the uh, Craig Ioki scene... Craig doing karaoke and like dancing in Lois's face is just such a Craig moment and it's so funny. I thought it was hysterical. So I I gave it to that. Okay. Uh, fair enough. That is a great moment. I went with the boys' uh like trap door inside of the door. <laughs> that is also very good. Yeah, there, there were a lot to choose from this episode. Uh, and what did you have for your hot dog with mustard award? Your award for the best line. So I, I ended up going with, uh, uh, I, I forgot to write down the character's name. But uh, anyways, the uh, the gal at the Lucky Aid who looks at Lois uh, and Shelley. she goes, Shelly, stay out of this, Lois. This is retail justice. Because <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. I found that to be absolutely insane and also incredibly hilarious. Uh, oh. That was also my first choice for this award. <laughs> it's such a good line. <laughs> but uh, since you took that, I will go with my backup, which uh, comes from Craig and is uh, Mr. Cochran makes a lot more money uh, than us. And on that <laughs> basis alone, I think we should listen to him. <laughs> uh, oh, Craig. Crony capitalism <laughs> thanks you. Then <laughs> uh, moving on to our next award which of these plot lines did you give the a plot of your heart as much as i love the craig stuff like i just how's between like how's montage and some of the lines and just watching hal go absolutely nuts trying to protect the boys i i had to give it to the the insulary plot line like it's just so good. Okay. I did go with the uh, Lucky Aid union plot line. It, it just has, like, all <laughs> of my favorite lines came from it. It, it just had, like, a, a lot of great stuff going for it. I, both plot lines are really good. This was a tough choice, but uh, just uh, with, with, you know, Craig's karaoke and both of the, you know, union torture scenes. <laughs> like... <laughs> I just had to go with uh, the lowest-centered plotline for this one. Fair enough. And who did you give your Top Skate Dog Award? Your award for favorite character. I mean, obviously it's Craig, right? Like, this is a great Craig episode. Uh, it is. I did not choose him, though. Uh, I guess, uh, oh, you know what? I didn't even think of her as an option. Uh, Shelly would have been, yeah. That's who I chose, David. <laughs> <laughs> Because I immediately, I was like, who would Jake have chosen besides that? But yeah, no, Shelly was, Shelly was phenomenal. Uh, um, she wasn't. We, we skipped over it, but there, uh, when she's like telling Lois that they figured out who the snitch was, she has Lois hand her some soap, which she then like puts in a sock and like menacingly <laughs> like, is like wielding it like a club in preparation, which is fantastic. Oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, she, she's just such a good one-off character in this episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and who did you give your Cloris Leachman Award, your award for the best acting? Uh, I had to go with David Anthony Higgins because, uh, again, I I love the the karaoke scene for Craig and the and the scene at the the lockers too where he's doing the 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 whole like won't look Lois in the eyes thing. I 
I just it's so funny and it's it's well done. I like I said, I love a good Craig episode. He's an awesome character when they use him not as like super creepy Craig. So uh yeah, I also gave this award. Uh he, he has the best physical comedy in this episode. Like I he even laughed as Brian Cranston in this episode. He, he's just fucking fantastic. Yeah, it's it's really funny. And I, I think he just, he plays this character so well, man. Watching him be Craig is, is awesome. Yeah, and I, he just does such a good job of, like, selling Craig as, like, this weirdly, like, genuine and sincere, but also, like, completely spineless loser yeah. at the same time <laughs> that is very endearing and very funny. <laughs> I I would have to agree. And moving on to our next award, who did you give your Mrs. Dabney Award? Your award for the worst parent. I mean, how? Like, it's gotta be how. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. (laughs) (laughs) I love Al, but man. (laughs) Woo. (laughs) Then uh, we will move along to our OK Boomer Award, our award for the moment or detail that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. What did you have for this? Um, I went with still having to mail checks in to pay bills. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, that is fair. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, because I still, I haven't done that in ages, especially not for insurance. Holy God. Yeah, no, by, by the time I started having to pay bills, everything was online. I've never had to send in a physical check in right. the mail. But uh, yeah, I, I went with uh, the newspaper and specifically the newspaper comic strips. Oh, yeah, the, he's reading what, during the egg scene? Yes. Fair. Uh, the the only thing that I have any nostalgia for for newspapers. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jake didn't care that the newspaper industry died, except for you know Sunday comics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the Charles Schultz estate needs that money, David. <laughs> God. Then that just leaves shittiest and least shitty kid. Uh, who did you have as your least shitty kid? I mean, Dewey. Yeah, I also had Dewey. He's he's just innocent. I don't know if I'll go that far. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he is comparatively to the other two a perfect angel. I mean, I mostly chose one because through pure chance of not having been with them he wasn't involved in the squid thing right octopus thing oh yeah yeah sorry octopus thing yeah he was involved in the squid thing because he was involved in that fight and he was wrong uh true (laughs) anyways (laughs) and and then for uh having the you know moment of hesitation on their retaliation he still decided to go through with it but he at least is the only one that you know Pause to reflect on if they should throw these hornet nests down a chimney. <laughs> yeah. And who did you have as shittiest kid? Reese. Yeah. For wanting to 100%. throw hornets down the chimney. <laughs> uh, not even for that. I actually hold all of them pretty equally responsible for that. For wanting to leave Hal under the pile of rubble to go throw the fucking well, hornet's nest down the chimney. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I have that on there as well, but... <laughs> Like, he he probably would have got this award anyway, but that definitely, like, 100% seals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. It's, it's pretty shitty. Yeah. <laughs> and that wraps up our awards, but we have a couple of segments left, beginning with WTFF. So, David, ah. where the fuck's Francis? Well, you see, Jake... Francis finds himself in a bind once again of having to clear his name and fight back to get his stolen identity after Eric and this weird, you know, body double that he's hired have gone around continuing to get him investigated by police and in all sorts of legal trouble. But Francis has wisened up, Jake, because as he's returning to his old roots and getting away from the ranch and sort of the the responsible Francis is starting to fade away. He's not going to handle this with the legal system this time, Jake. He knows a better way. 
he's going to handle this the Wilkerson way. So he is currently trying to track down Eric and his body double Francis impersonator and is has planned and built all sorts of Home Alone-style traps and makeshift catapults and is currently preparing to go to war until Eric stops slandering him for criminal activities. <laughs> uh, you know, tough but fair on his part. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, look, when the legal system fails you, you know, you have to take these things in your own hands. That's right. And he, no other choice. He did attend military academy, so, you know, watch it. Eric, he's got he's got tactics on his side. <laughs> I like the idea that having been to military school outweighs having been in the actual military. <laughs> yeah, but it was Navy, so it doesn't count. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, from there, we will go to the Cranston Connection, as we have determined that in some form or fashion, every character played by Brian Cranston is the same character. And today, we see at the end of this episode that uh, Hal is able to, you know, rig up his own, you know, homemade splint for his leg pretty quickly... And, you know, given the, what Reese said about his body facing the wrong way, we know that he at least did a fairly good job of, you know, being able to make it so he could stand on it, at least for a short time. And that implies that he has had some sort of medical training. <laughs> and, in fact, he was a doctor before this. Sure he was. was Dr. Fist in the Cleveland show. I knew immediately where you're going because I looked at using that one. Uh, as he was Cleveland's doctor for some time, which does complicate things slightly. In <laughs> <laughs> much the same way that, you know, his uh, role in Little Miss Sunshine, you know, uh, had the un unintentional side effect of then connecting him to the Coen Brothers universe. This raises some uh, interesting questions, as he is not the only person who played Dr. Fist. <laughs> as <laughs> apparently uh, the character has also been played by Seth MacFarlane and Tom Kenny, <laughs> which then raises the question of does that then connect them to the Cranston connection? Or are they secretly altars of Brian Cranston? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I like the idea of Seth MacFarlane being a Brian Cranston-controlled robot. I mean, that, that's that's one possible explanation. There, there's also the the possible explanation that, you know, uh, Brian Cranston sort of inhabits different bodies, sort of seizing control of them at different points. Uh, like, uh, uh, what was the name of that show? Uh, Quantum Leap? Yes, Quantum Leap style. <laughs> Okay. Oh, or is it more like a Shadow King type thing? Like Amal Farouk, he leaves little bits of himself to possess them. It, it, it could be, it could be. <laughs> I, I don't have any answers, but this does raise questions. <laughs> <laughs> questions that literally no one else would ask. <laughs> okay, well, that just leaves one last segment. Uh -huh. David's guessing game. Oh. I mean, yeah. That. Which uh, you did pretty well for this week. Uh, as you guessed that there would be some sort of issue with the family's health insurance. Uh, you thought it would center around Hal's, like, work insurance. Either, uh, like, lowering their coverage or, uh, you know, raising their rates. Which wasn't quite right, but was fairly close. Then, uh... All the rest of your guesses were pretty spot on, as you correctly predicted that this would send Hal spiraling and that he would overreact <laughs> and become obsessed with keeping the boys from getting hurt and that that would backfire somehow. Uh, you did say, however, that you, you thought that it would, like, almost injure someone, but you thought that they would, like, stop short of, like, a injury that would warrant a trip to the hospital. Uh, which, while they didn't actually go to the hospital, I, I was uh, slightly off, as how clearly should have. <laughs> That's fair, yeah. Then, uh, you were also correct 
and saying that Francis would not appear yet, which was uh, Eric's question to Right. Yeah, that and what color shoes is he going to... None. He wasn't there. He was busy dealing with your bullshit. That's fair. So with that, I gave you a 92%. There were a few details that you were off on, but you got pretty much everything. Yeah, coming out the gate strong. And what do you think happens next week in Reese versus Stevie? Ah. Which I will tell you. It's my favorite Stevie episode. Yeah? Yep. Interesting. That does slightly influence what I was going to say. Okay. Um, I mean, I was kind of leaning this way, but now you've like... I think we're going to see, obviously, the uh, bully Reese come back. Um, and I think it's going to be geared towards uh, Stevie. And I think we're going to see sort of maybe like an escalation of back and forth between Stevie and Reese as uh, Stevie learns to sort of deal with and fire back on Reese and his bullying. Okay. And that's 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 the best I got. Um, how do you think this uh confrontation is going to end? End? Yes. Uh, I don't know how far it's gonna go, but I I think Stevie is gonna outsmart Reese. I mean, obviously, duh. Right? Okay. Um, Fair enough. And then yeah, I don't I don't think it ends up positively for uh for Reese, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and do you think we'll get our first Francis appearance in this episode? No. Okay. I'm just going to keep going with it until I'm wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) It's a 50-50 shot, right? (laughs) That's right. Well, that wraps this episode up. Thank you for listening, and as always, thanks and credit to Jacob Neufeld, who does our intro and outro music. If you would like to find links to more of his music, you can do so in the episode descriptions. And if you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com, or on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast. If you enjoy the banter back and forth here and want to join us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we stream video games, interact with chat, and in general, have a good time. And as always, remember, life is unfair.